0: The presenting sponsor for On Education is ClassCraft. We're excited to announce ClassCraft's new story mode, which makes it easy for educators to harness the power of stories. Episodes 1 and 2 of Season 1 are ready for you and your students to play today. And it's completely free. To learn more about ClassCraft and the new story mode, simply visit classcraft.com slash oneducation these textbook
1: companies that try to make games now turn their textbooks into games and so now we're basically you know it's chocolate covered turds for lack (laughs) of better words welcome to on education part of the on podcast media network i'm mike washburn
0: and i'm glenn irvin friends we have an awesome pot for you today we will discuss whether schools need to teach the gaming of algorithms. This week, the Catholic education system received a couple of doses of really bad news, and we'll talk about that. And our guest this week is friend of the pod, Steve Isaacs.
1: So I saw you tweet today. Yeah. About, I, I'll tell you, and my first thought was, I, I just hope when I grow up that... I can be as good at anything as you seem to be at Hearthstone.
0: <laughs> I'm not quite that good yet. But I, don't know, I man. but but today was a a good run <laughs> this morning. Um it's such a difficult game and I know I've talked about it before on here um because everybody that's playing it at that higher level there everybody's really good. So yeah, you can really easily make one mental mistake and lose. You can also just get really unlucky and then lose. Or a combination of those things in the opposite way can also happen too. So it's a game of super ups and downs. Actually it reminded me, Mike, I didn't even think about this as far as talking about it, but we might as well. Did you see that tweet uh that somebody tagged a few of us in uh and it was about ninja? At the competition yeah, 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 one? Yeah. The competition yeah. one? Okay. Anyway, Ninja, everybody posts... Ninja's a eSports gamer, and that's the reason why me and Mike know who he actually is. But anyway, yeah. he's one of the best in the world, and he's, yeah. uh, we've talked about him on here because he was on the cover of ESPN, the magazine. Anyway, he posted this week a kind of semi-inspirational, semi-something-to-talk-about type of tweet, basically saying that if you come into a match... So this could be a game or a you know a sport or whatever it might be, and you already uh, come in with the attitude that it's just a game, yeah. That you're already halfway lost. You know, you're mm-hmm. already halfway to, towards losing. And I, I thought a, a couple of different things about that. Uh, one, I was like, this is the exact same competitiveness as like a Michael Jordan. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where this this or Kobe Bryant.
1: Um, I, I have the tweet. Do you want me to read the tweet? Yeah, read the tweet. I, I've, I found it here. Yeah. The phrase, it's just a game, is such a weak mindset. You are okay with what happened, losing, imperfection of a craft. When you stop getting angry after losing, you've lost twice. There's always something to learn and always room for improvement. Never settle.
0: Oh, yeah. So, a lot of different things about that. Number one... <laughs> There's so much it, going on in that tweet. It made me <laughs> think... It made me really, again, we've talked about this, that not only is esports becoming the same, you know, the same popularity, let's call it, as athletics at the professional level. Yeah, totally. But the people participating in those things. So, example, Ninja, who is a professional esports athlete. He also has the same type of characteristics as these super competitive athletes, as I described Michael Jordan, whoever else it might be. Mm -hmm. And then below it, I don't know if you saw, but there's a guy who plays Hearthstone. And his Mm -hmm. name is Brian Keebler. And he's played Hearthstone for, I think since the beginning when it was, you know, barely came around or whatever it might be. And he's played Magic the Gathering, a couple of other different types of games. And he's really, really good. But more than anything, he's really entertaining. And he's super well known for not getting upset after losing. He's, he's the anti, uh, you know, throwing your controller and throwing a fit, you know, kind of going raging, you know, kind of that type of thing. Do you want me to read his tweet? Yeah, read his. Okay.
1: I feel like the strive for excellence sentiment here is good. But one of the most important things for people to get good at when they play games competitively is losing. Yes. Because they're going to do it a lot. You can strive for excellence without getting angry when you lose.
0: So you know what's so awesome about this whole? Co- hmm. Both of them are heart, or sorry, are uh, gamers that are professionals. They both yeah. make a living off of this, and they both are, you know. Brian Keebler, I know for sure, is in his mid to late 30s and he's got a family and he does really well. Ninja, obviously, is one of the highest paid esports athletes ever, you know, um, and it's there's actually these discussions going on. And these discussions then can carry can be carried forward and 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 had at the high school level at the middle school level and we could start having these exact same types of things that you would see only in athletics previously Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so i love that i love that there's a conversation about it i don't even care about the sentiment of whatever's had because there's there's value of both of their comments there's totally
1: value in in both comments
0: yes there's value in both and really what it does more than anything else is solidifies esports as something that's, number one, ultra-competitive. It's very mm-hmm. tough to win and get good at, but it's also a lot of subtleties there of, like, how do we actually conduct ourselves in gaming, in co- competition, you know? Yeah. It's freaking yeah. awesome. I, I love that. I,
1: I love the life lesson in Brian's tweet because mm-hmm. one of the things that I I always, when I do PD, especially Minecraft PD, but when, I, when we talk about esports and about... um especially when I get into those talks about kids who say they want to be YouTubers or streamers and encouraging teachers not to discourage those desires. I always remind them, the teachers to remind students that streaming is hard work. Yes. Uh, and that it's not easy and that none of these people that are famous, that they want, that their kids watch on TV, got it, you know, for free or for nothing. It's, it's taken tons and tons of effort and tons and tons of losing in yes. some cases, and you know, I I think I think that there's great lessons from Ninja here, and there's awesome lessons about digital citizenship and and mm-hmm. sportsmanship.
0: Sportsmanship. Sportsmanship. That's what I would say. Yeah, it is. There from, it is.
1: From these tweets, and so it's it's packed full of. Tons of like interesting things that you can talk about that that are absolutely fascinating, um and and so I, I was glad that I saw it and I but I I was busy I was in meetings that day, um, but then Michael Cohen tagged mm. us in it, and yes. that's where you know the conversation started and that that was um that was a lot of fun, uh, it was it was a fascinating fascinating thing to talk about, um we want to before. I get into this yeah um, this is a there's some pretty heavy topics here coming up and um, you know if you if you have dealt with like trauma or especially sexual abuse and stuff like that you might want to you know skip over for the next few minutes feel free that's fine um, so now that now that I've gotten that out of the way I mean so the Catholic Church was already going through a pretty rough spell, um, with 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 tons and tons of of sexual abuse allegations. You know, this has been going on forever, um, and it's really coming to a head, um, kind of right now. But in the news this week has been two, I think, absolutely um, interesting situations that that do have like really you know interesting implications for education um that i that i want to discuss because I, I almost also because i want to follow them and see how they progress mm-hmm. so the first one comes from a, a a catholic school teacher in toronto uh paulo de Buono, um read a book to his grave grade five and six kids um Called the boy who cried fabulous, um, and and he got absolutely attacked. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, vicious groups. Um, this you know, oper- operatives, political operatives. You know, singling him out. Um, and and it was you know, I just wanted to give it some air time. We're gonna link the article in the show notes and I, I would love, you know, for, for, for our listeners to read this and, and, you know, Paulo needs some support. He needs some backup friends. Mm -hmm. And, and I've already kind of weighed in, you know, on Twitter and said, listen, dude, if you need, if you need help, if you need to talk to someone, if you need anything, you, you let me know at the very least. Um, because, I, uh, you know, I, I I guess so. So, and we've talked about this a bit on Twitter. The Catholic school system in Ontario is publicly funded, mm-hmm. which is um, way different tax, to the United States taxpayer money. Mm-hmm. So there's the 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 public school system, the the, and then there's the Catholic school system, and both you you can choose in your taxes where your education portion goes. Mm. So. You know, we have a a so the Catholic um, school system isn't isn't going after him. It's all of these ancillary far right and 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 heavily religious groups that are going after him. But they're definitely trying to get him fired from his job as an educator, Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just unacceptable. Um, especially from um, an organization that, that receives its funding from a from from taxes, um, so so you know there uh, there's a petition online um, to encourage the Toronto Catholic District School Board not to you know let Paulo go, um, and I just wanted to offer uh, words of support um, because because it's it's such a horrible situation to find yourself in. Um, to just be reading a book to your students that expresses, um, you know, uh, you know, issue that talks about issues regarding sexual orientation and and gender identity, What's... and to then be just yeah. absolutely attacked viciously um, for it, both on Twitter and everywhere else, is is awful.
0: What's uh, crazy though, Mike, is that that book, The Boy Who Cried Fabulous, as I went through it and read. Uh, the commentary on it listen to him on you know the local news yeah. uh, broadcast it actually never mentions yeah sexual orientation all it is is a it's a story about a kid yeah who likes to use the word fabulous yeah and yeah. everybody is against them by everybody his whole family can't believe that he uses the word fabulous yeah you could derive all kinds of meanings from it basically it's a kid who said who wants to be his own individual self and can you translate that to you know a sexual orientation or a bunch of other things sure yeah you can and what it's basically saying is that you can be your own self and we all should care about you and we need to care about everybody as individuals and so it's fantastic it's crazy though how these different groups have gotten you know, really aggressive, uh, and basically targeting him to to terminate him from his position, which is it's awesome. crazy. Yeah, and in the United States, it's hard for us to for people listening in the United States that know Catholic schools. I know Catholic school educators. People get fired in those specific schools for a wide variety of things that I find insane, mm. but that are part of. The contract that you sign with a specific catholic school Mm -hmm. Um, so you know going into it that for example if you are not married and and you are a woman and you become impregnated you're going to have a baby but you're not married they they could fire you for that which is just Mm -hmm. crazy like in my mind it just blows me away but it's it's part of what you end up signing you know it's as far as signing on to this specific part of school. the package of being with a but we don't fund our it. schools our private or sorry our religious schools publicly so they yeah. are all privately funded so they can yeah. basically work outside of the scope of what would happen as far as in a public school system so crazy that's all i could say so
1: And the, the other awful, um, story that has literally just come out this weekend is, is about, um, Jean Venier, uh, who is, you know, a a luminary of the Catholic church, like someone that was idolized, um, by the Catholic church and, and, um, uh, a, a, a Canadian, known for his, you know, charitable work, especially with people with intellectual disabilities, um, was uh, they they there was a report published um, that that says that he, you know, um, had sexual abuse and sexual relationships with, um, you know, a number of people and and abused at least six women between 1970 and 2005, and. You know, obviously it's awful, you know, for the victims and there there may be more. They're not saying that there's not. What what I find is um really I actually know and I was telling you this, Glenn, I, I actually know students, I taught students. There's Jean Venier Catholic High School in Richmond Hill, Ontario. Hmm. There is another Jean Venier Catholic High School in Cambridge, Ontario and there's a Jean Venier Catholic high school in like Sudbury in northern Ontario. There are three that's just the three that you know are in you know within a couple hours drive of me. There are Jean Venier schools named schools named after this person all over the place. Wow. And I'm absolutely um um I'm I'm very interested in and talking to someone or, or finding out, um, you know, what's going to happen, you know, within the school communities. Um, you know, obviously, you know, there's, there's parents and administrators and you know, whatever that are going to come back to Jean Venier school, uh, in Richmond Hill on Monday morning and say, what, what do we do now hmm. with the name of our school? because we certainly can't have the name of our school named after someone who sexually assaulted at least six women. Crazy. Um, you know, we have recently had a conversation with a school that name was named after someone who's alive still and idolized in the community, a, a legend, the Al- Justice Alan Page. Mm-hmm. And, and I immediately thought of that, You know, in the sense that, you know, this is a, it's a complex issue, even when it's someone who's like an idol to people. And the crazy thing is that until yesterday, you know, Jean Vanier was, like I said, uh, you know, idolized by the world for what he did, um. So uh, I actually texted uh, the, the parent that I, that I still, you know, have conversation with every once in a while. And they have a daughter that goes there still. Um, and they didn't even know. They didn't, hadn't seen the news. So I shared it with them. And then I just asked them to do me a favor and keep me kind of, I'm interested in being in the loop on, you know, the conversations at the school and the school climate and um, what the administration is going to say. About you know the namesake of their school mm-hmm. and and what they do now because um, you know we've seen with Justice Allen Page that schools sometimes embody their mm-hmm. namesakes you know and you know when your namesake then
0: yeah it does this. it comes it's, out as as yeah. a
1: betrayal almost what do you do it's it's complicated mm. <laughs> to to coin a phrase. Um and uh and unfortunate and sad to sad. be perfectly honest. Um so so you know it, it's a it's a pretty bad situation. Um and I'm and I'm sorry that we we have to even um, think about it. But you know it's it has implications for all of those students mm-hmm. and all of those parents and all of those com- the and community all the members. Yeah. And all of those teachers who have mm-hmm. to walk through the doors and see the name on the sign and, you know, especially if there were educators in those buildings that had been abused or, you know, assaulted or um, are victims themselves to then have mm-hmm. to go into a building named after someone who was a, a you know, um, who who has this record now. Um, I can't imagine, to be mm-hmm. perfectly honest. Um, so really really interested in in how things are going to unfold there Mm. for sure
0: you've come across a video game that i've never even heard of someone had mentioned it before and i watched the trailer and i was like i don't even know what this is (laughs) but i just read an article about it and it's it might be playstation exclusive but what it's hyped up as and as i was reading the uh just kind of a review of it uh, of the game itself is that mm. it is a it gives the player the ability basically to create games within this gaming platform without the complexities of coding and so on and so forth and then you can share your created games with a community of other obviously other gamers now this happens in other things, like I was thinking about uh, Roblox, for example, okay. yeah. a lot of Roblox things are are created by users and then put onto this platform. Um, in Minecraft, tons of content and uh, extra features. It's the reason why Minecraft was it wasn't it continues to be so amazing is that the players basically recoded the game and made tons of other games within Mm -hmm. the game itself and made it look more beautiful and made it look funny and and so on and so forth and did all of these things um, basically playing with the code and in this case this uh game called dreams i think it's only for playstation at least Mm -hmm. right now allows the players to create all kinds of different games and if the ones that i was looking at are everything from a 3d platform gamer to just a two-dimensional kind of a jumping around type of game to everything else in between. It looked amazing if that's actually the stuff that you can build and it, and it touts itself as very easy to kind of get going with it and quick to be able to create the levels in the games, whatever, and then easily be able to share them with, uh, you know, a community. So, we're definitely going to keep tabs on this. I don't have a PlayStation, but maybe it'll be an excuse for getting one. <laughs> nice. As research, that, yeah, I think
1: this is the company that made Little Big Planet. Mm, could be, because
0: um, it reminds me of that kind of the aesthetics. Yeah, remind yeah. me of Little Big Planet, definitely. Yeah, so it could be that. that. This,
1: I think that this is that company, Media Molecule. Yeah. Um, you know, so you you had um, mentioned or asked if this was the next. Yeah, they did make Little Big Planet, um, but you had asked if this is the next Minecraft in the in the show notes, which I thought was interesting because we've actually talked about another game and framed it as the next Minecraft, and I'm, I'm still we're still waiting, still you know, waiting for for Hightail <laughs> to come out, mm-hmm. um, and only uh, the only person I know who has played it is. Um, is Stephen Reed? Yes. Um. Unfortunately, <laughs> so, so we need to. I need to talk to Stephen Reed about it. But um. we, we also just need to get our hands on that because, it, uh, it, you know, Hightail is is a lot like Minecraft, mm-hmm. uh, and made by people who made like the Hightail mod for Minecraft. Um. That's where they came from. They made yeah. they made mods for Minecraft. And yeah, they're so. like,
0: we're gonna make our own game.
1: so super interested in dreams uh for sure is it out Mm -hmm. now i think it's about to come out so there's there's some people that got to test
0: it out yep so it's about to come out right now so i would like to hear from people and see what they think like and more descriptions of it because it's still a little bit of a mystery but everything i've heard i was like oh this sounds like you know our guest this week Steve Isaacs they get to play right. test this in their classes and iterate with it and build and design things uh yeah I want to hear more about what it's all about and how easy it is to actually sh- build and share
1: so it looks to me like it it's rele- it was released um last week okay. February February 14th so we'll have to confirm that maybe I'll uh, maybe I have a PS4 so nice. I'll maybe hey. I'll, I'll download it and see what's up <laughs> okay um good. Cause that would be exciting. Tell me
0: about pocket points. So a teacher this week, uh, that I was working with said, Hey, I'm going to try this thing out that I used to use. She's a first year, uh, teacher at our school that I used to use at, uh, the university. And, and she said it was, it's called pocket points. And I'm like, I've okay. never heard of this. I don't even know what you're talking about. She's so she showed it to me. And at the university level, what it basically does is, so you're in a college class and yeah. you're a professor and you're trying to keep your students, just like high school students or any other kind of students, off of their phones and focused on kind of what's happening as far as in class.
1: I played civilization in university.
0: Yeah, but you don't want to be <laughs> like, you know, a so bad, a hardcore about it. So you don't want to be like, no phones in here or whatever it might be. You're, yeah, you're, totally. you're adults. You need to be able to monitor yourself right that kind of a thing you know a better attitude as far as that so what this professor and i I think several of them were doing is encouraging the students to use this pocket points app and at the university level at least and this is kind of what interest is interesting to me and i think we should pull this model into high schools is they for staying off of your cell phone for a specific period of time so that the the uh The professor would set up their class period and it would be one hour block from one to two o'clock and they would log you in as you're a class member and you would you would download the app and, and volunteer to do it and then you'd press a button and she showed me how to do it and it says I'm ready to begin and they would do a countdown timer and lock your phone now you can always press a button and say I give up right but if you manage to stay off your phone for those 60 minutes. Pushed out to you would be all of these local vendor coupons. So Chipotle, um, <laughs> McDonald's, whatever well, might be. That's
1: the quickest way to a student's heart, right there. Chipotle. What
0: I was ta- I was thinking about that. It's like half price burritos, two for one. This uh, one dollar burgers, free hey, drinks at I'll Burger King. I'll pay attention to anything you say for half price burritos, dude. I was listening and she's like, we all did it. So we were all, we, and we, and we were serious about it. You know, we actually were trying to game the system or cheated or whatever it might be. We were serious about it. She's like, so I was thinking maybe I could do something like that as far as in a high school. Now, the way that they push it there, and we'll link it there for the, for the audience here. They are talking about gamifying. So they're talking about something. The rewards would be based about something that you would have as far as in your class you know, uh, drop the lowest quiz grade, so on and so forth. Just remember that the best gamification has to be as far as that carrot has to really be something that the students really do care about, but that doesn't destroy what you're trying to do in class. Mm. So Mm -hmm. I always tell people, be careful with reward systems that affect grades, for example. Outcomes, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's okay for it to be something that's outside. So, for example, a coupon that you get to have from a local businesses. And it's so smart because pocket points didn't pay the business to anything. Actually, the businesses are paying pocket points to basically advertise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're saying, hey, student, do you feel like going to Chipotle? Here's a half-price coupon. They're like, oh, that makes me want to actually go to this specific place. I'll tell my parents or I'll go myself, et cetera. Nice. Really, really interesting concept. So, I'm interested to hear if more teachers are actually doing this and then what does it actually look like as far as in a classroom, as far as high schools, you know, or or middle and then at the elementary level, how you would change that. Or maybe it's not as big of a deal, but at the high school level, at all the schools that I've been at, cell phones probably is at the top of the list as far as classroom management issues like that teachers sure. are trying to figure yeah. out get their yeah. minds around like how how do i do this so that it's respectful of my students and basically mm. saying i'm going to treat you as the adult that you're becoming you need to you know do you got to be able to monitor yourself without basically kind of just letting them do whatever they want you know kind of thing yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's a it's a really interesting concept i want to definitely if you're out there you use this Connect with those. I want to hear more about what you're doing. Super cool. Yes, that's
1: awesome. Hey, so our friend Nate Green um, put out a pretty interesting tweet. Um, yes, that that is funny because I, I I've been thinking a lot about algorithms lately. Mm. So so it was funny that he brought this up. This idea that um, asking the question should schools teach students how to game algorithms. And, and I'm not exactly sure what specific algorithms he was referring to other than, um, you know, th- referencing a couple articles um, and, and stuff like that. But, like, listen, if someone can tell me how to game the YouTube algorithm just a little <laughs> bit, I, I would be happy to to, to listen to some advice because I could use some algorithm gaming for YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but Nate has some other ideas, I guess, related to... I, I, You know, what do you think? I guess this is like a really interesting digital citizenship perspective from a bad place. But it's also, Mm -hmm. you know, so what I thought of the first time I thought of this was the narrative surrounding hacking and hackers, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, hackers. And we had that conversation, remember? about a year and kid? a half ago, we talked about the kid who 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 got into like the security system of the school, um, and is being like really singled out, like in bad ways for doing something that almost every kid would have probably done. Mm-hmm. And teachers were so dumb that they they couldn't you know protect their. They left their, their passwords on their screen. their password kind of right up. on the screen. So yeah, of course, a twelve-year-old's gonna you know be a twelve-year-old. Um, in some ways. Right. And you don't got to like send the kid to jail for it. Let's be real here. (laughs) Um, you know, but the idea that there's, you know, there, there is good hacking, there is ethical hacking. And certainly, I think that the narrative surrounding hacking the word and like the, the connotations, it's not a pejorative anymore, I guess, is the the best way to say it. Mm. You know, when you're a hacker, that's not a bad thing necessarily anymore. And it's not automatically seen as a bad thing to be a hacker anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that was the first thing I thought of. What did you think of when you, when you thought of this?
0: So I thought of all of the different systems that are in play right now as adults that many of us learned too late or we never learned <laughs> the lessons about how so many things are set up and there's these algorithms that you can basically manipulate in order to end up on the good side. And usually it has to do with finances. Uh, the first thing, though, I was thinking of if you're a high school student, how do you break the algorithm or get into the right side of the algorithm of college entrance? How do you basically pass? They tell you, like, there's a specific test score you have to get, you have to write this essay. So on and so forth. But we already know, we've talked about on the show, that Mm -hmm. a lot of the stuff is being done, is automated. And Mm -hmm. once you pass the automation process, and that's kind of what the link to this article is that Nate was uh, uh, linking there, is that in order to get to the next step, you have to pass the automated part of the algorithm. So Mm -hmm. if you don't even do that part right or set the things up correctly there, You will never have a real person read your application. So this for college entrance, I was thinking also about credit scores. Mm -hmm. The credit scores algorithm in the United States isn't about just being a good person. (laughs) It's not just being like, hey, I'm going to do the right thing, et cetera, whatever it might be. It actually has to do with specific things that you must do it. and, And those things affect your credit score, either positively or negatively. And some of those things we never even, we don't even know about. A lot of us still don't even know about what those actual things are that really do move credit scores in Mm -hmm. one direction or another. Um, He was talking about job searches, where basically you would go in, and I've heard of this happening at many big time businesses, or for example, the Mayo Clinic is really huge here in Minnesota, and it's such a huge system of tons of hospitals all around uh, Minnesota and tons of employees that in order to get past basically the algorithm part and get to a an actual person that reads your application yep you have to in your cover letter and on your resume look at the job description I mean, read the job description. They'll tell you, basically, you can watch YouTube videos about this, how to pull keywords and basically insert them into your cover letter and your resume, though they may not exactly belong there. Isn't that, that's insane. I'll you know tell you mean?
1: something. Yeah. I'll tell you something. You probably know this. If your, if your cover letter for the Peel District School Board yeah, which is the second biggest school board in Ontario, one of the four or five biggest in Canada. If your cover letter for the for to apply for the a, a job at the district does not have the word differentiation in it, it will not get seen by a human. That's what I'm saying. That's it will not exactly get what seen I'm talking by a human. about. You have to have that word. There are other words too. Mm-hmm. I don't know all of them. I know differentiation was in my cover. Was one letter. Of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, because I was told to put it in there. Yes. By someone who told me your resume will not be seen by a person. I don't know if that's the case anymore because obviously it's been quite a while since sure. I applied for a job at the Peel District School Board. Um, and my wife's been there for 12 years, so, so, you know, she doesn't need something like that anymore. But, um, I know for a fact that there are a number of boards in southern Ontario that are having their resumes because of how many people apply for these damn jobs, mm-hmm. also. Um, you know, you'll get, you know, you open up the supply teacher, the, um, what do you call them? Just a uh, substitute teacher mm-hmm. list to, yeah. to apply for a substitute teacher job in Southern Ontario. And like 6,000 people will apply for that job. Crazy. Um, so I understand the idea of needing some sort of filtering. Um, but there are definitely words that those filters are looking for. Yeah. Um, and gaming those Filters is there's actually a Facebook group. I'm not gonna. I, I don't care anymore. There's a. <laughs> I I can tell you. That there's a Facebook group. Okay. A private Facebook group for people who want to learn how to do well in the York District School Board interviews.
0: Really. The so questions... they basically help you. Yep. They're like,
1: yep. here's some of the questions Here that are I the received. The questions you're gonna get asked. Here's here's Dude. good responses. I was in that group
0: social media at its
1: best or
0: is it <laughs> I I'm think just saying it's, it's there. important you would okay so if you didn't do that yeah right if you didn't get into the things and you didn't have that advantage mm. you know basically being able to do whatever you you need to go ahead and do to be able then to go ahead and at least blooded. do well as far as the interviews or Even just get an interview, you know? that's insane. But totally makes sense because we have all of these systems in place. Should we so the great question by Nate Green is should we be teaching our kids how to game all of these different algorithms that exist that and that they will be that will be at the forefront of a bunch of the things that they try to go to do in life, from getting a job to getting good credit? to get, getting into schools and so on and so forth there's probably more i can't even think of them all yeah. right now but it, should we be teaching them how to go ahead and do that that's a very interesting question uh, ethical you'll, dilemma but uh, yeah yeah interesting
1: well you'll have a chance to weigh in on the on, on this question in uh, chat on education because we'll we'll make sure that that's one of the the questions and we'll mm-hmm. uh, we'll give Nate some credit and get him to weigh in on what he thinks and uh, and we'll have a really good st- actually we should give a shout out to the chat because the chat yeah. was absolutely phenomenal this week mm-hmm. um, very um, full uh, spirited super yes. interesting really good conversations <laughs> um, That, to be honest are still like it's it's While well, we're recording on a Saturday this week we normally record mm-hmm. on a Monday um, so the chat was yesterday morning Friday morning uh, and you know, we were still talking about it this morning. Yes. On Twitter. Yes. So like the conversations haven't stopped and it's been twenty over twenty four hours now. Uh so I guess that's how you know you have Great. a good chat, I suppose. Yes. Um that, that you know, people are still Keeps talking. Going. Uh and, and you know, it's not just like it's not like fluff, it's legitimate real conversation. So, you know, um That was literally the whole point of starting a chat for us anyways. Um, So, you know, mission accomplished there, I guess. When we come back, the best. And this week, five things in education we need to stop doing like right now. So stay tuned.
0: On Education is brought to you by Fidgets. Fidgets are interactive USB sensors that bring your code to life. There's no soldering or wiring required. Simply plug in a fidget sensor, write code in your favorite language, and watch your ideas come alive. Fidgets are used by thousands of STEM professionals globally and are now available for computer science students. Simply go to Bitly Fidgets on Education to get your introductory kit that includes a free sensor worth over $50. That's Bitly Fidgets on Education. Welcome back to On Education and welcome to the best. Every week, Mike and I take you through a list of our top things, from books to games, from people to ideas. So there's a lot of great things going
1: on in education, to be sure. But let's be honest, there's also some stuff we could really say goodbye to, like, anytime soon. This week, five things in education we need to stop doing now.
0: (laughs) And I was thinking, five is probably not even enough. (laughs) <laughs> no, so no, there's this more. Is, this is a chat we question, stopped. too. <laughs> this is one where people can just kind of weigh in and, and, and let us know what all of the yeah. things... Because there's a lot of things. A lot of the news that we talk about are things that we just wish we could just stop. Um, yeah. But we we had to narrow it down. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Otherwise, we'd have many, many hours of to um, discussion.
1: Our, to our <laughs> top. our top stops. Wow, that
0: rhymes. <laughs> yes. So, I guess... Number one, but it doesn't have to be number one. It uh, it's good. We got to just say bye to homework. Um, I was just think I was thinking about my the amount of homework that my seventh grade son brings home,
2: mm.
0: and the amount of work that my second grade son is actually doing also at, at, at home, and the value of that specific work is what I really am questioning. So we've sure. talked about it before. If it's a project that involves kind of getting us involved in my sons' lives and in their passions, mm-hmm. and it just happens to spill over that they're so pumped about doing whatever it is that they were doing at school that they really want to continue it at home, of course, we want that to continue. That's awesome. Sure. But the stuff that, uh Lysander, my oldest son, is actually doing as far as at home on a daily basis is very similar to the things that I was doing uh you know a long time ago uh, twenty five plus years ago mm. and it's basically kind of this worksheet type of stuff and it comes the part that really is frustrating to me is both my wife and I are educators and I find myself sometimes where I can't actually help him because I don't even know the uh, you know, the reference, the, the specific math, or whatever it might be, because I haven't practiced it in so long and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. whatever it might be. But then I was thinking to myself, I'm actually here at home and I'm and I'm a teacher, for God's sakes. Mm-hmm. And I'm having issues trying to go ahead and, and, and help them. What if their mom or dad is working their second the second shift They, You know, they made dinner for them. They had to go to work. They the kid is there at home by themselves or whatever it might be you know or a limited amount of things what if they are a second language learner what if a whole bunch of other things where there's just all of these other priorities and this work gets counted as part of their grade you know as far as part of the assessment is a thing and we all know that it's just bull it doesn't it doesn't really hasn't shown to be an effective way of Not practicing of getting more, you know, learning uh, at a higher level. Nope, it does. We've shown that it actually just shows economic levels, economic statuses, and it does in my case because both my my wife and I just happen to make, we happen to live this life where we do work in, like, let's call it a quote unquote normal day, and in the afternoons we can help our kids. We're educators, so we understand that we would want our, our kids to, to succeed at school so we're trying to help them out with whatever might be sure yeah but it still pisses me off every single time i look at this stuff and i mean uh thank goodness my wife is there cuz she like pushes me aside and, and and lets you know basically lets my sons do the things that they need to go ahead and do and then yeah. make sure that i don't get my negative feelings out <laughs> as far as towards Towards them Because it's not their faults, obviously. Um, and I don't even know if it's the teacher's exactly their fault. It's a culture thing that we it just need a, a freaking thing. break. We need to break free of it and stop doing this. Yeah, totally. So
1: I don't think I've ever seen a textbook that I liked. Mm. Textbooks. And it gets worse as the years have gone on. Mm-hmm frankly to be honest even the textbooks in some cases are getting worse even like to be honest the old textbooks are awful like i've seen some textbooks especially the old ones that are like racist as hell oh yeah in some cases completely like insensitive to um to tons of different groups and ethnicities and and, and you know, so old textbooks are awful, and we know, like, there are still schools out there that are using textbooks from the 70s and 80s, um, for sure, guaranteed, yes. like, way in, chat, because there are definitely schools that are using textbooks that are 20, 30 years old still, mm. um, and those are awful, but even new textbooks, and these textbook companies that try to, like, you know, we talk about this all the time, This this these textbook companies that try to make games now, oh, turn God. their textbooks into games. And so now we're basically, you know, it's chocolate covered turds for lack <laughs> of better words. Um,
0: it's not even broccoli. Right. <laughs> broccoli no, would be too good. No,
1: no it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's polishing poo <laughs> just to make it look like it's something tangible. But uh-huh. we all know it's not, um, you know, there's nothing. I, I just, and it, it it's just, It's administrators not trusting their teachers to be creative with materials and resources and ideas and tools and methods that don't require kids to sit and read a book, um, you know, to do learning, you know, learning from a textbook is a mile wide and an inch deep. Uh, and, and learning that involves getting your hands dirty and, and, you know, being in there and doing things and building things and making things and, and presenting things and sharing things. That's where, you know, you get real, um, meaningful learning outcomes and experiences and textbooks just simply don't provide that at all.
0: One of the, uh, best examples out there that if anybody wants to go to look at this, um, When I did my master's degree, I did it on the flipped learning method and whether or not that that was effective. Um, And anyway, there was a school in Byron, Minnesota. just happens to be in southeastern Minnesota where I actually used to live. And they were referenced in one of the studies and, and many studies that have been done on the flipped classroom and blended learning and so on and so forth. But the best part and the most interesting part was there was a group of math teachers and basically... They couldn't afford the new textbooks. (laughs) You know, they couldn't actually buy them. And so Mm -hmm. they were like, what are we going to do? Our old textbooks are horrible. What are we going to do? So the district actually paid them. And they spent a summer working together as a department. And they created their own textbook curriculum from the beginning to the end. And not only the curriculum, but all of the flipped videos that went along with the curriculum. Brilliant. So that it actually... And all of the practice problems and related them to things that they knew were specific to their population, their students, and their – whatever it might be, their things that were going on with them. And they continue to revamp that curriculum. Yeah. Super successful. And, I mean, they paid – the district did end up paying somebody. It's called – they paid the teachers to in create the curriculum, create all the resources, and then go ahead and deliver those and kind of revamp them each year. Uh, so if, uh, you can't do that with everything. But you know what? There's this thing called Google nowadays where there's a lot of stuff out there. As, and as educators, we can become curators. And that's where we, we me and you, when we talk about, for example, yeah. Schoology as a learning management system, the reason why we love that uh, platform is... You can curate materials—the best of the best materials—from all of the different resources that are out there. Pull them all together, and then basically create your own curriculum. Who needs a textbook when you can do that? You did that exact same thing. You knew what you needed your students. You wanted them to go ahead and do as far as the outcomes, and you created the curriculum that fit for computer science. And basically, all it took—what it took—was time. A passionate educator and and basically a, a wherewithal as far as how am I going to put this together? What's my end goal mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. So we can do that. Textbooks yeah. sucky. Yes, <laughs> let's do that. Uh, the next thing that I was thinking about too, Mike, uh, on this, and we've talked about this topic. And my God, I get so furious about this one. Taking away recess as a punishment and. It's still being done in schools. It still happens right now. And I would say it's actually more commonplace that it's than the opposite. It's actually more uncommon for schools to not do this. So stop taking away recess as a way of punishing, you know, uh, as a consequence for mm-hmm. whatever it might be as far as behavior management. It sucks. And I would say, as I've said before on the podcast and you agree with me, we need to have more recess time unstructured play is freaking awesome for Mm -hmm. kids of all ages they need to get away from the thing be able to socialize together physically active run around do some different things whatever it might be have some different places for them to be able to go ahead and do those things unstructured play is freaking phenomenal don't take away recess from kids as punishment
1: I just realized. So I was telling you off air that um, we, just, my wife and I, just realized that this is a. Um, so in Ontario, it's called EQAO. It's the standardized test. Yes. They do it in grade three and in grade six in in the in the K to eight system. I, I think um, they do some other small tests, but the main years are three to eight. Uh, And we just realized that, so Isaac's in grade six. So this is an EQAO year for Isaac, which means that his entire schooling is entirely different than every other freaking year because they are teaching to the the stupid damn test. And and we, it didn't, we didn't click with us until a a week ago. And Cheryl said to me, Hey, I just realized he's in grade six. That means he's taken that test and you know so we mm. we're going to have a legitimate conversation about cuz you can opt out of standardized tests in 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 Ontario you said that you can do that in Minnesota yes. as well um you know you know listen you've heard us rant about stand- if you listen to the podcast <laughs> yep. this is this is probably if we were ranking these this might be number 1 this is number 1 right <laughs> so i mean standardized tests just need to freaking go away pretty Damn quick, um, and and they they hurt kids. They don't help. The only thing that they do is provide politicians with political ammunition. Yes, uh, and 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 talking points. Rel- like and they're being right now. I swear to God, right now, like in this Ontario teachers, the labor issues. Mm -hmm. you know standardized testing scores are being used by the progressive conservative government as talking points um you know calling schools failing schools and all of this nonsense Mm -hmm. and they're they're then they say well how do you know schools are failing and they'll say well look at the math scores or whatever and you know it's it's all that they do is and yeah they provide the funding numbers in a lot of cases for mm. for schools they 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 um they don't in Ontario I don't think anyways um but but in a lot of cases funding and money comes from your your results in some mm. places uh, and certainly ancillary funding sometimes does and um you know if you've ever seen a kid and I've seen them who are like throwing up before they walk into a test, because they're so scared and uh, nervous about what they're going to do and how they're yeah. going to do, and then throwing up when they see the results because they're worried that their parents are going to be so. So, at, at, in private schools, there are standardized tests as well, and I've seen I've seen those. Those are the experiences I have yeah. directly, um, where the results you get the results like a couple weeks later, um, and they just give you them you know hand them to you on a, like wow. a sheet of paper yeah. and you have kids crying in the hallways um especially at a private school where their wow. parents pay 20 grand to to send you to a school and then you bomb a standardized test because you were so worked up about it that yeah. you you know you 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 had a bad sleep the night before. You didn't eat because you were scared. And then you threw up before you take the damn test. And then you bomb the test. <laughs> and then you get it back. And you're bawling so your weird. eyes out. I've seen it. I've mm. seen it. I've been there. I've comforted students who were crying because they thought their parents would practically disown them mm. as a result of standardized tests. If there's nothing else in this world of education that needs to go away, it's standardized tests and it needs
0: to happen now. Yes. Uh Okay, so the final one, at least for this segment.
1: Yeah, uh, we could do a whole yeah, other we could one do a whole, we could do a whole
0: show about this. Yeah. Um, and I'm super passionate about this one too. Gosh, yeah. that's the reason we had to put it on here. I'm tired of my kids and kids around the country being forced to eat lunch in 20 minutes or less. It is a disgusting, stupid thing that we do because we just want schedules. That's it. We want to be able to schedule things. And we want to be able to drive it in. Put it within the actual schedule. So we want to make it 20, 25 minutes of devouring your food. Hmm. Not socializing any. Which we all know. Isn't that a great part about eating meals together? That's it. That's the part I mean, where you actually are is. sitting down with somebody. And the meal... Is actually accentuated, it's made better by the conversation you get to have. Of course. And you know that article that we read the other day where the lady was the fourth followed the fifth grade class around and she ate lunch. Remember she was telling mm-hmm. she was talking about how they were yelling at her and she had to eat her lunch super quick and she had been sitting all day long in a quiet class being told to shut up and finally they have a space where they could actually talk and somebody was asking about what her favorite whatever was be it was super cute and then they started getting yelled at because they were whatever might be and then all of a sudden lunch was over with these super short lunches are just they're not healthy kids need recess and a time to be able to go ahead and decompress from what we're talking about Mm -hmm. we put a lot of pressure on kids in school to uh, whether or not you want to believe it or not, we do and they need to have times where they we do to, we do it ourselves as adults we have mandated lunches as part of our contracts you know like yeah. non-duty con do you yeah. think our kids don't deserve 30 minutes of, of course duty free time you know it's the same thing 30
1: minutes for lunch yeah 30 minutes for recess
0: yes and and do that so that they are that much healthier they get to experience lunch eat all their stuff my youngest son is just it's the worst part of the day i told you before yeah, because of so the time it's not enough time to eat and they are yelling all the time and he eats slow it's not that he's trying to be defiant he's a he, he's the last thing as far as being a defiant kid he sh- just doesn't eat super fast which is actually he's probably also a, like how old per- is he like seven, seven. eight? yeah he's seven it's like, that's, seven. A, that, that's a very healthy thing. It's fine to take your time as far as they, he's God. like, he's eating his blood, whatever. And then he brings home basically three fourths of his lunch. He's like, I just didn't have time to eat. it, So he's eating after school. He's really like hungry. Then of course, mm-hmm. just didn't have a chance to eat. Well, it's like, uh, short lunches. Come on, people. We sh- have to figure out a better way to do this thing. Sure. Short, yes.
1: short lunches can go
0: away anytime soon. Yes. Am I right? Or am yes. I right? <laughs> You're right. <laughs> So, everybody, you can always come back to this segment of the best by checking out our blog at oneducationpodcast.com or watching it on YouTube. Just search for On Education and check out our playlist. Do you want to support us on education? Check out our Patreon site at patreon.com slash oneducationpod.
1: When we come back, front of the pod, Steve Isaacs. Stay tuned.
0: On Education is brought to you by the Badge Summit. Do you have plans to attend the ISTE conference this summer? Come one day early and participate in the best hidden gem conference in the United States. Badge Summit 2020 will take place in Costa Mesa, California on June 22nd. There will be many amazing educators to collaborate with on topics such as digital badges, credentials, gamification, and more. To learn more about the Badge Summit, simply visit bit.ly slash badge summit.
1: Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Our guest for this week doesn't really need much of an introduction since he's name dropped on almost every episode and and certainly someone that we've talked to a number of times on the podcast previously. Steve Isaacs is with us this week. Welcome to the podcast friend.
2: Thanks guys. Glad to be here as always. As always.
1: This is I we were laughing. I think it was just recently weren't we talking about the commercial we did. At FETC, not last year but the year before, uh, where we were in that that little side room, and we 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 did that classcraft ad. I was laughing about that the other day. I was telling that story, how we kind of wrote it on the fly, and then I yelled to
2: interrupt you. <laughs> I, I think we talked about my million quests that I have on classcraft. Million quests for
1: classcraft. Mm-hmm. So we're we're here um, today. We actually have something um, to talk about some, you know, we didn't just want to have you on because uh, for, you know, random randomness because we uh love talking to you and we we talk all the time but um it's important that we we talked about this on the podcast. Um there's a lot going on right now with Epic Games and with Fortnite and you and I in particular are pretty heavily involved in that. So we wanted to get you on the podcast cuz you're kind of leading the the charge with this. Um you know they they sponsored um FETC. Um they had the um, you know, some, some banners and stuff in the, in the concourse. And, um, you know, we, we did some sessions um sponsored by them as well, which was pretty sweet. So maybe let's start at the start. What, what got their attention? I think that's the first, that's, I guess, the great place to start. Cause we know some of the backstory is that I had been talking to them yeah. for quite a while. Um, But I, I it, it took, the steve isaacs touch uh to make some of this happen so so tell us a little bit about um what got this going because i think that's a fun story
2: sure so well it goes back to last school year um and i'll share just a little little context uh my you know i teach game design and development and my students typically have the opportunity to choose what tool they'd like to to create games with and we use a variety of tools um you know, so a lot of what I teach is, you know, I teach the iterative design process, but I like to put the learning in the kids' hands and not feel like I am have to be the expert in teaching them the tool per se. So I was kind of waiting somewhat patiently um, once Fortnite Creative Mode was released uh, for kids to start asking to use it. And interestingly, last year, I had one class in particular. I thought all my kids would be asking in one class that asked so I figured this was a great way to start um and those kids of course you know can we use fortnite creative to create our game and I I didn't know if I could give an immediate yes um I felt like you know sort of with fortnite and you know at the time people thinking of fortnite primarily as a a battle royale shooter game Mm -hmm. um you know i felt like we had to at least get some degree of permission i teach in a middle school uh so i encouraged the kids that had asked to you know write a letter to our principal and kind of state their case which was a very strong case because the reality is creative mode there's no you know there's nothing about it that means that you have to make you know or even are inclined to make violent games uh, or whatever you want to call it, you know, if you're concerned with the inappropriateness, but it's a true sandbox environment. Uh, so they pointed a lot of great things out like that. Uh, they, you know, offered to, you know, get parent permission if they were going to use it. And of course, they, they made it clear that they understood what was appropriate for school and were going to abide by that. So they drafted, you know, this great email, um, which is on my blog. And uh, my principal was, was terrific. I wasn't sure you know what the response would be initially like whether it would be like whether the word Fortnite would get her attention or what but her primary concern was things like um making sure it was you know that student privacy was respected and that it was copa compliant which always makes me think of copa cabana but uh anyway um you know and and ferpa compliant and all and which it is so Mm -hmm. so luckily um you know Epic had has, is just, um, knows what they need to do, you know, in those regards, whether they thought they were creating a product for schools or anything, you know. So that was kind of the start, and I got super excited when I saw these kids, what they were developing in Fortnite, um, which kind of prompted me, I started, you know, getting a little more in tune with what Epic was doing and all about, and noticed the um, Epic Mega Grant, uh, so they... They're offering a, a ton of money, mm-hmm. um, but not not for education necessarily, but for whether it be developers or like game but they design. game designers, yeah, and they do include education in what they were looking for, which I was very pleased to see. Um, so I thought, let me you know throw my hat in the ring and and propose a grant. And the thing about it was, a couple of things. One is, I was starting to prepare and uh, create. A, class, my, a game design class for our high school, which we didn't have. So this was gonna be the first year I was gonna be at the high school. So my thought immediately is like, wow, once I get up to the high school, there's so much more potential for kids to create really great content with tools like Unreal Engine. So I wrote the, the grant with the context, it was, I think it was called something like Scalable Game Design uh, from Fortnite Creative to Unreal Engine and with the goal being to use both tools but also to scaffold the learning and sort of get kids started and excited with Fortnite and with an ultimate goal of of getting kids to be able to use you know Unreal Engine which is an industry standard um and luckily they it's interesting because it caught their attention like you had said before um that there was something interesting going on here potentially in education and that started a whole slew of other conversations, um, which led to some great opportunities um, and really piggybacked a lot on, Mike, what you were interested in. And it really, I think, just opened the door um, just a little wider. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, and they, they've been incredibly receptive. Um, I've been doing some work with them on creating lesson plans. You've done some work with them creating lesson plans. Um, we're going to be Supporting them at South by Southwest EDU. I'll actually be in the booth um, with them for three days uh, showing what a great, what a fun conference it'll be. Showing teachers how to use Fortnite Creative and other Unreal tools. Can we just
1: pause for a moment and think about how mind-blowing it is that Epic Games has a booth at an education conference? Yeah, it's like amazing. It blew my mind at FETC, and it's still blowing my mind that Epic games has a booth at like a mainstream K to 12 education conference.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're, they're invested. Well, they're, I mean, they're all in, you know what I mean? And, um, from what I understand, Tim Sweeney, who's the, uh, is the CEO or the yep. founder God of Epic, um, is, you know, and, and Mark Rain both are very, um, you know, invested in education and see great value. In, and, and, and really, I think, want to do right by education, um, but also are smart as business people, I think, to know, yeah. let's train kids to use these powerful tools and then, you know, become the next generation of, of developers. I mean, it makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I was thinking, Steve, that as I'm sitting at school some days um, and I get a notification from Twitch... That you are in your classes actually doing activities, uh, some of them having to do with Fortnite Creative, some of them having to do with Minecraft, and a variety of other things. But you're the only teacher that I know. I know teachers that stream like Mike does, and uh, some of our other friends do, but you're the only teacher I know that actually streams what's the content that's actually happening during school or the examples of student artifacts or, or all of those types of things and streams it live while it's actually happening. People are play testing or iterating or whatever it might be. If someone's interested in that, what were the steps that it took to be able to get there? Cause I mean, it seems like a principal's nightmare (laughs) (laughs) for, for this to actually think just because of it, of the live stream, uh, you know, just it being live at that moment. Um, But it's, it's gone so well. And so many of us go in there, not only to, you know, support you and your, what you're doing as far as your classes, but to also learn, like kind of see what is the latest things that people are actually working on uh, and what are you doing as far as in class. So can you talk to us more about that?
2: Yeah, well, that's the goal. I mean, I I feel like, um, you know, transparency is very important in education And I also, you know, I love having people visit my classroom and have, like, real live teachers come, you know, visit that want to start a program similar to (laughs) mine, but why not make that available through the technology we have now, you know, with streaming? Um, I, currently what I'm doing is it's mostly me, it's generally me on screen, um, unless I have parent permission, and I actually am going to, I, I... I'm going to be more formal with that because um, I'd like to have permission for all my kids out of the gate because then it just makes it easier to have kids just jump in and do stuff. Um, I do have kids sometimes doing the streaming, but I'll typically turn the camera off. Um, so some of the things they'll do is they'll either stream or record for YouTube some of the, the you know, Let's Play or game reviews and things like that, as well as their um, projects, you know, and, and as mm-hmm. you've seen, I will um it's a lot of fun when we're at this point in the in the project where we're all beta testing things, and I could jump in and and take people through what my kids are doing. I mean I love showing what my students have done <laughs> um, It's pretty remarkable and so yeah, so I think um, I think on a simple level, you know I think just you know being mindful to monitor the chat to um, you know to be understanding of what you can and can't do in terms of whether students should be in the stream. You know, um, I think permission there is important. Uh, but I do feel strongly that it's really, you know, I'm all about community building and things. And I, I want, I, I love when people like you, Glenn, you know, pop in and will, you know, either ask questions or comment. There's one guy who's like a, you know, uh, dinner beef. He's a great, uh, he he works um, with with the um, feed the beast, and so he's a, a Minecraft developer. And he okay. watches mm-hmm. our stream all the time. Mm-hmm. And so often we'll just give little bit of tidbits of of information that help because he knows far more than I do. You know, Very so the cool. more we can do that kind of thing too. And and Mike, when we were playing around with that um that streaming with the duck thing. Um, I got to start using that more because I'd like to bring more people in. Like I've had, you know, Adam Clark, I would have a question and he would come on to one of my streams and help me and my class, you know, figure it out and things. So I think there's a lot of power in that. And, um, you know, so I, I'd love to see more people doing it. Um, I think it just, you know, it invites people in. It, you know, I, it starts to make me think of, imagine the possibilities if there's, you know, we, we have actually, we have a student in our school right now, Who is um, who unfortunately you know is ill, so is is primarily homeschooled. But they purchased one of those robot things that is like a two-way you know, um, like a whatever, like a web conferencing tool, but it moves around the room and stuff. So the kid can be part of class. I mean, why not have that? I I could do that through the stream, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and what about kids that are homeschooling but want to tap in and learn and, and again tap it in. you know and i think like in other words you know their being there only enhances both my teaching and the learning so uh I, you know it's been it's been fun and and it's not always you know it's messy sometimes and that's that's good uh, you know i i i i like to model the the whole thing right like so if i'm making a mistake you know if you're there Glenn and or Mike and can help me debug some code, you know, in real time, um, I think that's pretty cool too. So, you know. It's funny we've
1: we've talked about it, we've talked about your stream without you here. We've actually I don't think we've ever actually talked to you about you streaming and one of the things that I come back to every once in a while and now I'd love to just hear your thoughts on it. Is this idea of trust um the the idea of trust from the student's perspective because i think there's something there but also the idea of trust from your uh, you, i mean you have bosses you're you're not an island you certainly report to people and they certainly know that you're streaming the inside of your classroom um and then parents obviously know that you're doing this as well and so talk a little bit about in And trust and how you approach them to let them know this was going to happen, especially the administrators, because I'm sure that there are, are a ton of teachers out there that would love to do this and are even just, frankly, probably afraid to ask to even like say, you know, and then they and then uh, heaven forbid your teacher, your principal, your whatever doesn't know what you're talking about at all heaven forbid, then you have to, like, go through this whole, like, process of explaining to them what streaming is. Right. Like, So, how did you like, actually get buy-in? I'm really interested in that, because I think that that is something that people would love to know about.
2: I, I think the thing you said first has most to do with it, is the the piece of trust, right? Mm. So, I think it's a lot about, you know, um, understanding that, you know, I'm generally... Like I said, I mean a lot of it right now. With if I have parent permission, I think buy-in is easy, right? Because I think when you have parent permission, um, then administrators are you know don't worry because you've gotten gone to that. And uh, I have a permission slip that goes home. See, uh, we it started with we were doing VR research in class, and of course I had to get all sorts of levels of permission to have my students involved in this research. So we had a permission slip for that. Then I started adding to that permission slip because rather than sending 8 million permission slips home and I added, the first year I added that I would be, you know, like to tweet from class and would like to, um, you know, and with, you know, with permission, you know, your child could be in a picture. We don't put names and such. Um, And if you would prefer they don't, that's something they can check off on the permission slip and I honor that. Um, then when I started streaming, I just added that as well and explained what we're doing with that. Um, and it also, it does invite parents in, which I think, I don't, you know, occasionally we have parents come more so when, when I'm streaming one of our, like, uh, eSports matches, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then the kid will be able to say, hey, you can watch me, you know, on the stream, and we'll get, that's when we seem to get more parents in, um, you know, but uh, but but even at our, you know, i i've presented at board meetings where i've shared the twitch stream and things like that um so i think uh i i think i think you know y- you work hard to build that trust um i would like to think that that administrators would be open to the idea because i do think it brings great value um you know, and, and again, transparency. Uh, you know, there are things to be concerned about, but there those things exist, you know, everywhere. Like in other words, if I have my chat there and you know, and something inappropriate comes on, we have to deal with and address that. Luckily that hasn't really happened. Um, but you could moderate the chat and I have I guess whatever, um, like some simple filter stuff um going on. But uh but anyway, but yeah, I think it I, I think it does come down to that trust. I think it comes down to seeing, you know, the things that you're doing and, and, and you know what? So even when it comes to people visiting my class, I mean, you know, my district is excited about that because they're starting to understand that, you know, people are coming because they know something that we're doing and want to, uh, bring that to their school. And I think the same thing happens when we open it up through, through the stream.
1: So let's, um, circle back so you you had mentioned that you had written some lessons um for Fortnite, and i've written some lessons for Fortnite. let's first talk about the actual lessons because sure. I, I think some of these and what you can do maybe even there there might be people there probably are people who dabble in minecraft education edition that mm-hmm. listened to us for sure yeah um what so talk about your your um rube Goldberg lesson cuz it's sweet <laughs> and and talk about how you can do that in Fortnite and and how it relates to what you can and can't do in Minecraft cuz I think that there's a an interesting comparison there.
2: It, yeah, so well f- for one, yeah, like I I love the lesson. Um in fact, like I wrote it with the premise of it being kind of um a science and engineering lesson uh because it covers topics like um simple machines and 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 things like that um but of course but then i kind of spun it to make it appropriate you know worthwhile for my class also and and the main thing that that i find value in it for my students that are learning game design is that it also encourages them to uh learn about the potential of automation in minecraft by using i mean in (laughs) minecraft in fortnite um in this case because of the uh you know, the the triggers that, you know, automate things happening, the devices, you know, and things like that in Fortnite Creative. Um, so the kids are, you know, designing and creating these pretty intricate uh, Rube Goldberg machines. And, you know, again, with my class, probably the main learning goal always revolves around iterative design, and that's front and center in this, like everything else, um, because the kids are building their... their Rube Goldberg machine. Most of them use, um, use the ball, uh, to, you know, as the, the main, you know, the character, so to speak, that's going through the machine. So it becomes a lot of, uh, a lot of ramps, a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, jumps and things like that. And, and they have to, you know, modify their project continuously to make things, you know, go where they, intend for them to go so they're learning a lot about the the mechanics and the physics in in Fortnite because you know a ball will speed up and go off a ramp and it will not go where it's supposed to go and then they have to rebuild part of it or at least figure out where they want it to go before they build the next piece and whatnot and they have a blast with it um and then interestingly um you know similar to the 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 reverse was when kids started asking if they could use Fortnite in class with this project, some kids have specifically said, hey, can we do it in Minecraft? So, you know, the answer is always yes. Um, So they, so some of them are doing it in Minecraft, and Mm -hmm. I think, I mean, the project works beautifully with either platform. Um, You know, I think Minecraft kids, you know, are using a lot of things like command blocks and things to trigger stuff in the game. Really interesting things also, like, uh, and it's funny, you probably know this, but the is it the a villager gets chased by a zombie or a zombie gets chased by a villager, one of them. So I had one group of kids create this big tightrope as part of their thing, and the I th- I'm going to just go with it for a minute and say that it's the zombie chasing the villager, but the villager is moving, and there's a zombie that is making the villager move across the yeah. tightrope, and then at the end something's going to happen, the villager's going to hit something, and it's going to trigger the next thing. So, I mean, the kids get uh, so funny. creative. Yeah. Um, and in Fortnite, it's been really neat. In fact, if you could, in the show notes, um, my YouTube channel, which I'll give you, has uh, examples of, of the student projects on both platforms, um, but just super, super cool. So, it's a, you know, it's a really fun assignment. I think it demonstrates a lot of what's possible with um, Fortnite creative mode and, you know, as you can kind of sense, it's it's very appropriate for school um, and when you look at these things, you know you realize that it's in the Fortnite world, but it's you know, it's like this great um, example of, of what you can do in Fortnite creative that's uh, got nothing to do with guns or anything, you know what I was about- thinking,
0: Steve, that uh, you mentioned Unreal Engine Mm-hmm. and both of you guys are like super hyper nerds yes. and really know about things like unreal engine or the company unreal can you like take a step back and you said okay this is the industry standard mm-hmm. the industry standard of what I, because I because there's several different things aspects to it and it doesn't all have to do with video games my brother right. works in film in the film industry mm-hmm. in california and they they use the Unreal yeah. Engine. It's being used in all kinds of different things. Can you sure talk more about that? In, as far as what's the connection between this game yeah. that we all know as Fortnite, and then this this uh, engine that's kind of driving all of these things and and so many other things?
2: Yeah. Well, you're right. It is used for many things. It's used definitely for for um for probably a lot of CGI type stuff, but definitely in in film and video, it's definitely and it is. But that and is probably one of the industry standard tools for game design and and more and more <laughs> in fact um I even have a, a we have a friend uh Ben Kelly who recently said that he's moving from one 3D um game development environment to Unreal um engine primarily because what he did was he did a search of what the popular games that we all know are made in and it's um uh, pretty astounding how many of them are made right now in unreal engine and and you yeah. can make games for every platform including vr and, and xr you know and ar and stuff so but also like you say other industries are definitely using it and on that note um as much as mike and i might be you know hyper nerds um <laughs> i don't know a whole lot like Unreal Engine is challenging to me yeah. um but I started uh going down the rabbit hole of of their learning environment and if you go to learn.unrealengine.com I think that's what it is um I've been taking their they have a great learn.unrealengine.com yeah they have a great um you know uh, portal for, with tons of classes um you know badging and such um so that's I've been excited to Very be cool. doing that <laughs> lately yeah and um, you know, so, but it is, uh, like you say, yeah, it's, it's definitely and and 3D, um, just design too, and and then another one yeah. of the products is called Twin Twin Motion, which they recently acquired, and that's like a visualization tool, um, that's pretty easy to use to create, you know, great ideas of like, ooh, what? Let's say we want to design, and one of the lessons we're putting in the portal is design um, a skate park in Twin Motion. And it has the kids really thinking about things like, let's add some green, you know, um, uh, environmentally friendly aspects to this park. And and the kids are designing and then creating these beautifully visualized, um, you know, skate parks or what have you.
1: If you actually want a really good example of how ubiquitous Unreal Engine is in just like the digital design industry, I actually have a really good example My friend um, is the head of IT for um, Southern Ontario, if not Canada's, largest luxury car um, dealer chain, I guess. They have a Porsche dealership and a Ferrari dealership, and they, they sell all manner of luxury vehicles, and they sell McLarens. Okay, so McLarens are super expensive, and, you know, the cheapest McLarens probably, like, $120,000, $130,000 you know hundred and twenty, hundred and thirty thousand dollars And when you go to the dealership to buy a McLaren, he was telling me you go into a room, a fairly large room like a theater. Huh. Room and it's got like recliners um, in it and they have like a, a server like a waitress or whatever that huh. that comes and and Let's you go. Know, bring you a coffee. Yeah, exactly. And then they will um they will bring up pull down a, a there's a giant screen that comes down and they bring they have like the the representative with them and the representative has this like super $5000 high powered laptop and you build the car in like a hyper realistic model environment that's powered by Unreal Engine and you specify every little piece of the car that you, how you want it to look. And the person running the computer changes the settings and it changes the, the giant car that you're seeing in front of you on the screen. And it's all like rendered in like hyper beautiful environments wow. and, and and they can put it on like a road that's driving through a whatever and it all it's all powered by Unreal Engine. So that's like a non-gaming, right. like just kind of industry- um related you know example of 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 using unreal engine to and i think they actually on the unreal engine website they talk about the mclaren design experience a little bit too which is super interesting so that's that's actually a pretty classic example of this that that i always found was mind-blowing i'd love to go in even though i'll never have the money to buy a mclaren (laughs) maybe uh you know fingers crossed but you know, at least you know I, I'd love to go see this experience because I think it's really, really, really quite cool. So it's it's a path that our students may be interested in taking that doesn't necessarily involve game design or video games at all, um, but does you know involve this digital creation um, aspect um, that's that's really really interesting yeah. and and is powered completely by
2: Unreal. And how how cool is it when our kids start to learn this in school and like leave, you know, high school with a, a, a marketable skill, you know, like yeah. developing an Unreal. Um so I mean that's why it's so great that, you know, when we focus on like we say industry standard, but the reality is we're talking about um, you know, such great skills for our kids to have that if they're gonna go out, these are the s- tools that they'll be, you know, most likely using. So if they have those skills it's just amazing.
1: So Epic Games has um, dug in pretty deep in the education space. And um, we've both tweeted about um, something that they're doing that we want to kind of promote here tonight. Um, They're running a contest um and and we want to get the word out about this and and so talk about the contest a little about where they can how, what what they have to do what they can win right. and and how they and how they sign up for this contest that's uh basically sponsored by uh, uh Unreal Engine and and Epic Games uh,
2: so yeah so that's a lot of this work has has been leading right towards that. So the lesson plans that we've created and things have been sort of a a model for what um, they're looking, you know, to give an opportunity for teachers to, to present. Mm -hmm. Um, So basically uh, educators who are either using or interested in using um, right now, it's their three primary products that we're talking about, which is Fortnite creative, unreal engine and twin motion all fall under their um, teach with interactive 3d, uh, or learn with Interactive 3D Contest. So basically, we there's a template up online that you can kind of follow just to give, get the structure of, of what they're looking for for a lesson plan. And um, they're accepting submissions. I think they've extended it to, what was it, like May something? Yeah,
1: May something, yeah.
2: And uh, so basically, you know, it's a function of of submitting a lesson plan that uses one of those tools. And really i mean i hope people don't overthink it because the reality is the goal is to have lesson plans that teachers can can find on this portal and use um so you know it's like you know i think um sometimes we get in a thing where we think if we're submitting something for a contest it has to be way over the top and and i don't think that's really going to help um anybody's cause because it's less likely to be really used, um, in the classroom. But the goal would be for teachers who could either use your lesson or remix it, you know, a little bit for their needs. Um, the prizes are crazy. The, the grand prize is $25,000. I believe I'm going to the site now, actually,
1: that's a real amount of money. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And then there are three second prizes of 5,000 each. Five third prizes of twenty five hundred dollars each, and ten honorable mentions of five hundred each. So it's like nineteen people are going to walk away with at least five hundred dollars. Um, Some
1: and V Bucks cash. Yeah, That's what that is.
2: And the reality is, it's like it's real cash money. You don't even, yeah. you know, you don't even have to use it for V Bucks. Um, but mm-hmm. the the uh, I think you'll probably put in the show notes also the the link for the. Contest. Oh, it says now that it'll run till May thirty first, twenty twenty. It is currently, I believe, open to U.S. teachers that are working in school settings and what have you. So just take a little look at the rules. Um, I think, you know, no
1: Canadians. Unfortunately,
2: Sorry, I do hope. That, I tried. Um, I, I tried. In time, maybe <laughs> that will change. I think. I think it's like one of those things where you know, it from their perspective of. of legality and such. I don't know if it, you know, whatever, but, but, um, the, you know, the goal will be not only to hopefully win a great prize, but also to contribute to this great platform that they're investing in and developing. And, you know, just, you know, I, I come from the days of, um, when Valve, um, threw their hat in the ring for a brief moment with, um, With Learn with Portals, yeah, which was an amazing program. I'm grateful that I snuck in during the short window that it was a thing because I've been using Portal, too, with my students, you know, for many years. Um, Sadly, they uh, abandoned that, and it's nice to see Epic, you know, coming around and saying, you know, we really do want to really invest in education, and we want to be there and, and, you know, and support teachers and students um so i think uh, you know i think they're really uh you know seeing and embracing you know an incredible opportunity here so
1: big contest we're going to put the information for people to sign up for it in the show notes uh for sure we leave people with one question we've ever never asked before So, but we, we'd love to actually, I think we'd actually love to know your answers. What are Steve Isaacs, Steve Isaacs, what are three pieces of media, be it a book or a video or a song song or, uh, or cause I know you're a music lover, a live music lover specifically, uh, or, um, anything, any piece of media that is driving your thinking is influencing you maybe has influenced you in the past three pieces of media.
2: All right. Um, it's funny because when I think of media, I'm like, well, what am I watching now? And that doesn't necessarily apply to what's uh driving or inspiring, you know, my, yeah. my teaching, but ready player one favorite book ever. Um, you know, definitely influential, um, you know, in, in my thinking. Um, not you know i don't want us to get to that post-apocalyptic place where we have to uh you know where it becomes you know what it was but i think the uh i think there's a lot in that book uh that that is very real um let's see what other media um you know i'm super into esports right now so i, I guess at least from an angle of of you know, being aware of what's, you know, coming down the pipe and, and kind of following, I think that's that's big. You know, I've been, you know, collecting a lot of resources there and, and reading. Um, but let's see. So you want other media, though? Um, hmm. Gosh. Well, it's stump, I could, right? I mean, just video games like inspire me to no end. Uh, and I might, maybe I'll point at and if I, I'm sorry that I'm not being overly specific, but like the indie game scene um, strikes me because it 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 allows me to kind of see and show my students what is possible on that level as yeah, opposed yeah, to yeah. AAA. Um, so that plays a big part. And then, you know, I'm also I've been playing a little bit of Beat Saber lately. Nice. I don't know if that's. I mean, it's inspiring. You know, again, these are all things for me that you know just get me thinking, um, about what's possible for my, my students and such. But, uh, yeah, I, you know, I could probably answer it better with some thought, but you know,
1: (laughs) I I like when I like, I like just pulling it on people. Yeah, of
2: course. That's how you should do it.
1: Yeah, totally. All right. So thanks for joining us, Steve. This has been awesome.
2: Thanks guys. It's always awesome. Thanks for
0: listening to On Education. My name is Glenn Irvin. My co-host is Mike Washburn. On Education is part of the On Podcast Media Network. You can listen to this show and many others by great educators like Monica Burns, Mike Matera, Tisha Richmond, and many more by visiting onpodcastmedia.com. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website at oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at Pod. Mike is at Mr. Washburn on Twitter, and I can be found on Twitter at Irv Spanish. You can find us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash oneducationpod. We're also on Instagram at oneducationpod. Want to support On Education? Visit our Patreon site at patreon.com slash oneducation. There, you can get access to full videos of the podcast and so much more. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we would be thrilled if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or a review in Apple Podcasts or the Google Play Store. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost. It helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Classcraft, for supporting us. Check out classcraft.com slash oneducation to learn more about them. Thanks as always for listening. Stay awesome and see you soon.